Friend, please help Spirit-Filled Hearts Ministry by supporting the cost to produce Spirit-Filled Radio and Podcast for this current fiscal year. You can become a partner with Spirit-Filled Hearts by donating monthly. Your contributions make a difference in the lives of all those who listen to our radio shows and podcasts. Thank you for your support. Go to spiritfilledhearts.org and click on the Donate button. That's spiritfilledhearts.org. You're listening to A Culture of Beauty, where we discuss the ways we can elevate and affect the culture through beauty. I'm your host, Sequoia Sierra. Today, we have Jennifer Donaldson Novitska with us. Jennifer is an associate professor and the director of sacred music at St. Patrick Seminary in Menlo Park, California, where she holds the William P. Mart Chair in Sacred Music and directs the Catholic Institute of Sacred Music. She serves on the board of the Church Music Association of America and is the managing editor of the CMAA's journal, Sacred Music. She was a co-organizer of the Sacra Liturgia Conferences in New York and San Francisco and is a board member of the Society for Catholic Liturgy and serves as a consultant to the USCCB's Committee on Divine Worship. Jennifer has given chant workshops in dioceses, parishes, and monasteries across the United States and Europe, including most recently for the monks of San Benedetto in Monte in Norcia, Italy. Before coming to St. Patrick's in 2022, Dr. Donaldson Novitska served on the faculty at St. Gregory the Great Seminary in the Diocese of Lincoln, Nebraska at Nova Southeastern University in Fort Lauderdale, and at St. Joseph's Seminary in New York, where she developed an extensive musical formation program for seminarians and lay students. She also hosts a weekly podcast entitled Square Notes, the Sacred Music Podcast. Welcome, Jennifer. Thanks for having me. All right, my pleasure. So good to have you. So you have, I mean, an incredible background in music. So how, how did that come about? Like, have, Did you come from a musical family? What got you started along this path? Yeah, my, my family is, is mostly uh, musical as a hobby. But my, you know, my grandmother um, on my dad's side was an amazing person. She, she was a pianist. She played the church organ. And she was um, also very anti-Catholic most of her life until the end of oh. her life. <laughs> Wow. When she converted to the to the Catholic Church, and unfortunately, she passed away when I was rather young. But uh, mm. we had so many great conversations, even while I was young, that I just remember and cherish. And I, I feel like uh, such a such a kinship with her. Um, you know, not only with her intellectual interests and her musical interests, but mm-hmm. I have a feeling that if you know she were still alive, she I, I could really probably see myself um, easily mirrored in her. But my mom oh. always just thought about you know, the, the um, importance of musical education and education in general. And so did my dad. Um, so they, they had me take piano lessons. And of course, I went through the same phases that everyone did when they were a kid, you know, that right. they didn't want to practice. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. um, I think, you know, with some with myself and so many other people, um, you know, if, if you give give it up, you always regret it later in life. So parents Absolutely. should... <laughs> I am a regretter right over regret. here. <laughs> Yeah, it's always worth trying to push through. And my mom did help me push through. And then I became really serious. Um, you know, I was practicing three, four hours a day in oh, high wow. school. And um, oh, that's amazing. Then I Dedication. went to school, you know. 
I thought I would be a, a, a chemist, actually, and then I oh wow, I discovered that I didn't want to be in a laboratory my whole life. I liked people too much, right. and so I, I went into studying music in college. Yeah, it's a little bit of a different setting um, than being in a lab for sure. <laughs> <Indeed. laughs> so then, if um, you know your grandmother, who who definitely had a great influence on you in in beautiful ways, but you mentioned being like somewhat anti-Catholic. So was was did you convert, or were your family converts? Well, um, I grew up Catholic and my mom raised me Catholic. I went to Catholic school my whole life. Oh. Um, my dad's not Catholic, but he's always been so supportive he, uh, of everything that I've done. And, and um, yeah, so I, I did grow up Catholic, um, okay. but I discovered my faith in a very profound way, actually, in Catholic school. Later um, in high school, I had some profound conversion experiences. And especially later, um, when I was a junior in high school, I, I really discovered through the, the teaching of a priest who came um, mm-hmm. to my high school to teach our religion class, and he used the Catechism of the Catholic Church as a textbook. And it was there that I really discovered that there was so much that I needed to learn and, and what a treasure our faith was intellectually. And it helped me, you know, just answer a lot of those questions that a lot of teenagers struggle with. Right. And yeah, <laughs> and we all have to go through that. Where we have the, you know, a time in our life. I think um, even even for cradle Catholics, where you it, it becomes your own. You know, where you have to answer those questions for yourself, even when you've been exactly. practicing all your life. So that definitely comes up yeah. at some point or other. So if it hasn't come for a listener yet, be prepared. It will. <laughs> but, <laughs> so so then I mean you you know you studied that and so then through college. Um, you you said you uh you know practiced piano more so were you like performing in you know orchestras or concerts and things or um like how how did it evolve to what you're doing now yeah so when i went to college i i think i just thought that i would you know be a high school music teacher and okay. um so i studied music education actually oh okay vocal music education um but i was mostly playing the piano and um, surrounded by a really great choral atmosphere. Um, you know, the Midwest is, is such a great, anyone who's who's grown up in the Midwest knows that kind of choral singing is kind of part of the DNA there. Uh-huh. Oh, wow. <laughs> and really? So it was, it was a really great um, experience. And, um, but then I, I went on to study piano at the graduate level for my master's and my doctorate. But when I was going to grad school, I, I took a class my first year of grad school called Music in the Church, and it was taught mm-hmm. by this preeminent Bach scholar and organist, Quentin Faulkner. Mm-hmm. And he had a fair amount of experience, you know, both in the Episcopalian churches, but also in the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. And it was there that, you know, we covered a kind of history of sacred music. And, you know, this was at a public university, so it was you know, just from a sort of academic historical perspective, but right. I started asking a lot of questions and I was always asking him questions after class and he was very patient with me and um, he started just encouraging me to read a lot of things. And it was there that I read for the first time the documents of Vatican II oh. on the sacred liturgy and sacred music and mm-hmm. I was surprised <laughs> right. at what I read. Um, like, why are we not doing very this? Different- <laughs> Well, it was very different from my, my experience, and I, I just right. I felt very convicted that I, I had so much to learn that I, I just didn't really know existed. Because, you know, I really, when I uh, first started doing music at Mass, I, I actually got my start in church music playing the synthesizer in our folk group. Oh. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, I played piano very faithfully and, and, and organ um, uh-huh. throughout 
high school and college, but, but this discovery really, um, just sparked in me a conviction that, you know, the church was speaking very clearly, um, to the church and to, to my heart. And I I really had so much to learn and I I had better do it. (laughs) Right. Exactly. It kind of started me on a different path. So you felt that call to really take kind of what you learned about those documents and the Vatican II documents and really apply it. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's the experience of so many people mm-hmm. uh, in the church that, you know, they grow up with, um, you know, an experience of music that's based on maybe more contemporary or modern hymnody. And um, they grow up just doing things the way that their their church, um, their particular parish has done them. But I, I don't know that they always have an experience of hearing the church's vision for the liturgy articulated very clearly to them. Right. And so, um, you know, they, they go along doing the things that, that they think they should do. And then, you know, more and more people I think are discovering, um, you know, there's a, there's kind of a broader vision here um, that imposes itself on the heart through its, its clarity and vision and meaningfulness. And that it's, it's, uh, there's so many good fruits that come Whenever we follow our Lord's call to see things in a more deep or profound or bigger way. Exactly. Absolutely. Well, and also for some of our listeners, because I you know, just realized, too, I, you and I know a lot more about um, what sacred music actually is. But for somebody who, because, you know, if you really think about it in your average parish, we don't really have that experience of true, authentic sacred music, unfortunately. Um, so how would you explain or define it to somebody who has no idea what we're talking about? I would start by saying that um, the church has a sort of native musical language of its own, mm-hmm. um, and that is Gregorian chant. And um, we can look at Gregorian chant as having particular historical roots in a varied geographical and chronological context, but it really grew up with the liturgy. So mm-hmm. any Roman Rite Christian um, who praise the the Mass and the Roman rites, has as their sort of birthright this musical language that accompanies it. And that musical language Mm -hmm. is something that um, not only makes the uh, text more beautiful and helps it sink into our hearts, helps it to um, articulate and express and redound to the glory of God more faithfully. Right. But it also it has a particular meaning in itself. Sometimes we think of the meaning of of music only as the words, but we know that's not the only way in which music means, you know, otherwise right. we would never go to a orchestral concert. Right. But the the Gregorian chants of the mass have a particular way of expressing the text. Mm-hmm. It helps guide our prayer, you know, and I think an easy to understand example is, you know, the, the Gregorian chant is translated um, quite ably into English. Um, so if people go to, to Mass in English and they hear um, the Lord be with you, they hear that in a couple of different spots in the Mass. Um, right. And in the greetings or before prayers, they might hear it sung, the Lord be with you. Um, mm-hmm. And kind of simple. And right. at another point in Mass, they might hear it with a different melody. The Lord be with you. That heads into the preface dialogue. Right. And that simple difference of the music expressing it in a different way says that, ah, there's something special about when you hear it this more 
elaborate way. Right. The Lord be with you. It's heading into sort of apex of the mass. Mm-hmm. There are just so many ways in which Gregorian chant helps us understand what's really going on, the mystery and um, flow of the mass yes. in a way that's attractive, beautiful, and really more meaningful, um, adds to the meaning of the words of the Mass. It's really singing the Mass itself. Mm-hmm. So um, I would say that that's one of the biggest discoveries that we can make is that you know we have this treasury of sacred music with Gregorian chant at its core, and then so many other beautiful kinds of music. It's not just Gregorian chant, but that right. really express what the mystery is that we celebrate you're listening to A Culture of Beauty, and we'll be right back. You are listening to the Spirit-Filled Radio Network. Special words and special music to glorify God. It's the feeling you get when you see a familiar face in a crowd of strangers. It's the way the embrace of a loved one feels after a hard day. That feeling is comfort. And it's what we provide to families who turn to O'Connor Mortuary in their moment of need. More than just providing quality funeral service, we provide the necessary guidance and support to help Catholic families and people of all faiths and cultures process grief and heal their hearts. We are here to help every step of the way. For compassionate comforts in a time of loss, call O'Connor Mortuary in Laguna Hills. You can reach us at 949-581-4300. That's 949-581-4300. O'Connor Mortuary is a sponsor partner of Spirit-Filled Radio. Each and every day, we bring you inspiration and solid Catholic teaching on Spirit-Filled Radio. Heed these words from Peter Herbeck about the eternal drama that every soul beckons with. Stay in the light. Walk in the light. You are the light of the world now. Live it out. The drama that is unfolding in you is an eternal drama. All civilizations are going to pass All the big, giant sporting realities will pass away. All Wall Street will pass away. All the money, all the things that seem so important, the nations and nation states and wars and the kings of this world, it's all going to pass away. All that drama, which is real in this world, and some of it's very important, but nothing is more important than the drama that's unfolding in your life. God's priority. God's drama. The good news of God that's unfolding in the world to save human beings, to bring them from death to life. For more, come find us at spiritfilledevents.com. That's spiritfilledevents.com. You're listening to A Culture of Beauty on Spirit-Filled Catholic Radio Network. And today we're talking with Dr. Jennifer Donaldson Novitska about sacred music. So, Jennifer, you were just, you know, explaining about um, Gregorian chant um, and a little bit more about what that is in terms of sacred music. And I know I've had a few people um, that we've on the show where we've talked about liturgical things. And someone had mentioned, you know, like Leviticus and how God has a mode of worship. Like he wants us to worship him in a way, too. So it's not just about us 
wanting to worship God, we, we can't just do it just because we want to do something per se, but that God also wants to be worshipped in a specific way. And you see that in the Old Testament with those, if I remember correctly, I believe it was Leviticus, <laughs> that would give these rules for how God wished to be worshipped. So is there also that element too with sacred music? Because I know there's a lot of people who would like a rock band sort of music, um, and that often is in many parishes because they feel, oh, well, that speaks to the youth more, or that's the way I like to do it. But it's like, well, but there's a reason why <laughs> we have certain things that are elevated when we're approaching God, who is this mystery. So can you speak to that as well as, you know, there's are there certain rubrics um, with music when it comes to the liturgy and that sort of a thing, too? Yeah, I think it's natural for us to come to any artistic um, medium with preferences and uh, experiences that shape us in a very profound way. But what I would say is that the most profound thing we can do is always orient ourselves towards God. And Mm -hmm. we can be like the disciples in the gospel say, Lord, teach us how to pray. Right. And, um, you know, uh, Christ is is not present in the exact same way uh, that he he was to um, the disciples for us to you know go to him and say that, um, but we can say that to him in our prayer and in our hearts and then ask well how does he do that how does he teach us of course he leads our the inner part of our heart you know mm-hmm. each of us um, in our prayer is led by God in a very particular way yes. but he also does that in a very concrete way through his body, the church. Right. And the church has a way of praying. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's something that is, yes, shaped through uh, history and time, but it's also something that's shaped through the lives of the saints and and the, the promise of our Lord that he would never leave us orphans. And the, the church's guardianship and guidance of this of the sacred liturgy throughout um, time and through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is a very concrete way in which he does that. So if we go to him with that particular spiritual attitude, Mm -hmm. Lord, teach us how to pray. Well, he can do that by particular things like perhaps like the experience that I had, that we read what the church says in in important statements about sacred music and saying, you know, Gregorian chant has principal place in Mm -hmm. the sacred liturgy. Right. And to take that really to heart and say, okay, if it has principal place, then it belongs to me as a Catholic. And then how do I really pray with that? And how do I really be shaped by that? Exactly. And it's, it's no longer about what I want or what I want to say to God, but as with so much in our prayer life that we bring a listening heart and we say, okay, Lord, Lord, really teach me and inform me. And when we have that openness, the church can say, okay, um, let's form you in what Pope Pius X calls the supreme model of sacred music. Mm-hmm. And this model of Gregorian chant possesses a true sacrality that when we hear it, it has a sense of prayerfulness and transcendence and connection to God. Right. It has a sense of beauty, that it's something that is authentically beautiful and can be perceived um, by any human heart as possessing something of excellence 
and you know that splendor of right. the form that that the scholastics talk about. It has a clarity, an integrity, a proportion. Mm-hmm. I can perceive those things through my intellect, and. I think so often we're a little bit afraid because we have particular preferences. We're afraid to let go of those things because we feel like we're going to have to give up part of ourselves. Right. But this is this is so much a part of our experience as Catholics about everything, whether it's like particular moral teaching or a doctrinal teaching or just something we're struggling with right. in a sense of prudence. You know, like we're afraid that if we let go of ourselves, we're going to lose ourselves. Right. But God is always faithful. And if we let go of ourselves just a moment and say, really, Lord, teach me how to pray. He mm-hmm. always gives us a very clear path that really fulfills the deepest longings of our hearts that is perhaps unimaginable if we never let go of our own preferences. Right. And for me, that that was my experience. You know, wow. I, yeah. I struggled when I started, you know, doing chant and, and singing it a lot. I thought, you know, am I doing this just because I'm like some musical snob? <laughs> you know, I am a music student. I'm studying music. Okay, maybe, maybe I have some sort of like just right. predilection towards this kind of music. But then I really, you know, there was one moment I remember particularly in grad school. I was, I was in the choir loft. I had gone down to receive communion and part of the school was just singing the communion antiphon. And I was seeing people go up and receive communion and the the priests um, giving communion and everyone like had their part to play in this kind of like cosmic symphony of liturgy. And I was just praying (laughs) And I had a silence of heart and everything felt meaningful. And I could listen to the scola behind me. I could look at the beautiful art. Mm-hmm. I could pray and reflect on having received the, the Eucharist. I had a sort of interior freedom that that really felt like, ah, this yes. is what God intends for us in the experience of the liturgy. Absolutely. Well, and I mean, that's a beautiful way to put it. And and even that that struggle, I think, is is something that it's kind of marks our current culture where we have a really hard time dying to self. Um, and that's reflected across the board in everything, um, even with people's fear of committing in marriage or whatever, because you, you do have to die to yourself in, in so many aspects of life if you want to actually be part of something beautiful and part of something transcendent other than yourself whether it's, you know, the music and the liturgy or even even like somebody becoming a parent for the first time, you know, they're going to have to die to themselves. But then they created this, you know, new life and this soul that they are going. It's perpetuating their their family. And so in in a way to touch that transcendence, it's kind of a part of of what we all have to accept that we have to die to ourselves to become a part of of that greater mystery, um, just as you know imitating our Lord as well, you know, it's because it's, it's that same story in the sense of we need to imitate him in that way. Yeah. And I think this is, is a particular important message for pastors, you know, that they want to lead people to God and everyone has their own path, you know? Right. Um, and it might be that they turn to God in one area of their life, like they pray more or they um, develop a a habit which helps them overcome a particular sin, or they see more clearly a particular doctrine of our faith, that any particular turning towards the Lord 
it, it really engenders like a, a whole turning of the whole self to our Lord. And I, I yes. think this is, is really important for people to understand that, you know, if you, if you really try to heed the church's vision for her own sacred liturgy and sacred music, and you, you, you do things that feel a little bit like you're stepping really outside of your own experience, your comfort zone, you turn towards the Lord in this asking to teach us how to pray. Right. So you can just experience spiritual fruits in so many other things. Right. You know, that, that this, this experience of music at the Mass which is truly beautiful, which is truly focused on God and not on ourselves, you're going to start seeing the openness to God in other things, which are, you know, perhaps tough for a congregation, yeah. you know, whether it's no, the church's absolutely. teachings on sexuality and marriage or the teaching on, you know, the place of Our Lady or the real presence right. in the Eucharist. Mm -hmm. This is a turning towards the Lord that um, kind of revolutionizes the spiritual life or the life of a parish. Right. We have to not be afraid to embrace the church in her fullness and what the church says. You know, I, I think that that lack of fear has to, to pervade our, our call to people to turn towards the Lord. And of course it has to be done in a, in a way, which is like, you can't just, you know, go into a parish and change everything overnight. Right. You really Absolutely. have to be formed by the church's liturgy. You have to right. say, Lord, teach me how to pray. And that formation shapes the heart in a way which helps you understand the spiritual good, not only for yourself, but for all your brothers and sisters in Christ. Exactly. And yeah. to articulate it in a way that's compelling and loving and beautiful and inviting. Yes. Yes. And it's just like a cascade of grace, you know, because like you said, that yes. turning of the heart, it just, it, it allows a whole flood of other things to, to happen and opening up towards God that way. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's, that's beautiful. Well, we're going to have to have you back so we can talk further on sacred music <laughs> and the work that you're doing. But thank you so much for coming on the show today, Jennifer. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. You're listening to A Culture of Beauty on Spirit-Filled Catholic Network. The following is our mission statement. The purpose of Spirit-Filled Hearts Ministry is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ and to build up the church by sharing the good news through the new evangelization, teaching on the power of the Holy Spirit, and using the healing power of the Lord to restore His people spiritually, emotionally, and physically. At the center of this ministry is God's love. Spirit-Filled Hearts Ministry is faithful to the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church. If you're enjoying these podcasts, please consider supporting Spirit-Filled Hearts Ministry with a one-time or monthly gift. Spirit-Filled Hearts Ministry is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. We are only funded by generous donors who believe in our mission to evangelize.